0: I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about digital citizenship. And here in Nebraska, there's a digital citizenship symposium that has gone on for several years now, we're going to learn a little bit more about that over the course of our conversation today. But along with that, There's also a digital citizenship contest that we're going to uh, share out about how your learners can be a part of that contest and competition uh, and learn more from it and the great resources available to them through this unique opportunity. And so to have this conversation, I've invited Peg Cooper of ESU 10 to join us today because Peg has been instrumental in the development of this initiative and its communication and, and really all things digital citizenship symposium, Peg's been involved in. And so Peg, welcome to the pod.
1: Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, grateful uh, for your time and uh, would love to just have you maybe start by sharing off a little bit more about yourself and your history and education.
1: Absolutely. So my name is Peg Coover and I work currently at ESU 10, which is in Kearney. I started there in 2013 and prior to that, I was a high school math and science teacher. I taught those subjects and those grade levels for 21 years I also was very involved with technology, probably from 2006 on, when the school that I was teaching at went one-to-one with Apple computers, and obviously digital citizenship became a thing at that point, because we discovered very quickly that you can't just hand a student a computer and expect them to know how to safely use it and properly use it. And yeah, we, we, we had to backtrack a little bit sometimes, but we basically got through that, and My role here at ESU 10 has been in educational technology since I started. I'm also the data coordinator, so I work with a lot of those kinds of things as well, but I still do a lot with educational technology. And being part of the ESU network across the state has been awesome for a lot of different things, but this digital citizenship group that I work with has been great. And we started this initiative in 2011. That was before I started working here, but it was in place and We just recognize that it's so important to get the message out that uh, there's bad things online and there's ways that technology can negatively affect students. So we just want to get that message out, but also have the positive message as well.
0: Well, know, I think that's a great place for us to start with this conversation, too, is to say when we talk about digital citizenship, I think that for some educators, certain topics or like you said, the positives maybe come to mind, where others, it might be some of those negatives. And so uh, if you could, will you maybe start off by painting a picture for us of what we're talking about when we talk about digital citizenship, particularly with this group that you have an opportunity to work with in support of creating materials, right, in this contest and things that we're going to get into later.
1: Sure. The way I would define digital citizenship is really just being a good citizen, but in the realm of the digital lives. And so we know that when the internet became accessible to schools and then therefore to students, that online presence was going to have an impact one way or the other. And so when we think about having students be good digital citizens, we want them to be able to participate in that online community and make smart choices while they're interacting with the technology. And the topics, they've actually evolved over the years. Our first year, we really focused on internet safety because at the time, students didn't necessarily have a smartphone in their pocket or backpack like we do, like students do today, and basically every adult. And so internet safety was a big thing. And then it kind of became more of a focus on having a positive digital footprint with the understanding that when you use a website or you use social media and you post things, it's not gonna go away. So what kind of positive digital footprint are you going to leave behind? We um, have had to then deal with cyberbullying. bullying. Um, cyber bullying has been a focus of some of our digital citizenship symposiums over the years because it has really become an issue with kids just not really understanding the power that they have when they're posting negative things online about their peers and how destructive those things can sometimes be. So we focus on that. Online privacy has been an issue as well, and also just digital privacy of student data. So making sure that teachers are using websites that are safe for students to use. Recently, we've really kind of focused on students being able to have news and media literacy, and that's all part of digital citizenship as well, not just taking that the first website you read is going to be the most accurate and not biased. So teaching students how to become media literate And then finally, media balance, knowing when to unplug and put the technology away and have some balance in your life as well. We know that as adults, we can sometimes get consumed and have our phone with us and respond every time it buzzes at us. And we also, I think, know as adults that that's probably not always healthy to be that consumed by us. We want to make sure that we teach our students the same thing.
0: Well, and, you know, you talk about it there. I actually heard recently someone say that we touch our phones 2,600 times a day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with the Internet being so accessible, it's really great that these types of resources exist and are going to be out there for learners to benefit from and continue to grow and evolve as uh, this group adds to those resources. Because, you know, as you were sharing there, I just thought about, well, oh, yeah, it is good to have media balance because there is fake news today. And as you were talking about, think about your digital footprint uh, and what it is that you're putting out there into the world. And you look at the issues we've had recently in the schools with vandalism uh, and TikTok, inspiring some of those uh, unfortunate instances that have happened. Uh, These are not after school program messages that are just generally for the few bad apples that maybe make some some poor decisions I mean, th- these are things that are happening on a regular basis and are evolving that are imperative that we find a way to educate our kiddos more about so they can make like you said good dis- decisions and be good digital citizens not only for themselves but also for their peer groups and as adults hopefully so I really I appreciate the work that's going on I love that you all are advocating for these things uh, and it's not as if this is new like you said so if we're talking about the history a little bit of of this conversation and the symposium Uh, you shared before. This goes back about 10 years, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So it was 2011 and it came out of a project that was a collaborative effort from different ESUs that we get together three times a year to collaborate. And so it was one of their efforts. And we started out with just seven teams, which it was still a lot of schools that were involved, seven. But it grew to, I think our highest number of teams was 47. In 2018. And so kind of the concept of the symposium was that it wasn't a conference, it wasn't a workshop, it was a a place to get together and have conversations and then work on something that you would take back to your school. And we would have a guest speaker and so forth. But the idea was, it's not just going to end that day that it would go back to the school and include more students or reach out to more students. So we had teams come and the teams consisted of usually four students and two teachers or maybe a counselor and a teacher and a principal, you know, whatever it happened to be. And so over the years, we continued with that. And the fact that we had 47 teams that one year is incredible. We had to limit it to the number of people we could have because we had it face to face. And so each facility that hosted it could only handle so many people in that room. And so ESU 10 would host it. And then the different ESUs across the state would host as well. And we would connect virtually. So the fun thing about that is 18 months or so ago when everybody went to Zoom, it's that everybody everybody gets Zoom now, right? But back then it was a little bit of a bigger deal, like connect virtually, but we did. And so if ESU 10 had people at their building and ESU-5 had people out there building and ESU-7, we would connect so that all the participants could hear the speaker and participate that way. We would have guest speakers from about 2013 on. Karen Hossie from KSB Law joined us and she's a phenomenal speaker and many, many schools invite her in every year to speak to them about digital citizenship. So people are aware of how enthusiastic she is about this topic and very knowledgeable and very engaging. And we would then sometimes have other speakers. State patrol would speak sometimes. Various educators that we knew that were instrumental in promoting digital citizenship in their schools, like Heather Callahan from Northwest and Craig Badura from Aurora, um, were people that we had invited to speak as well. We had a student from Colorado that was bullied, was cyberbullied, And so she came and spoke. So that's kind of the history of it. The most students and participants, teachers, counselors, principals, whatever that we had ever reached was about 288 in person in the different sites that we had. And so last year, last fall, because of COVID, we weren't able to have our face-to-face meeting and we did not want to just drop it. We knew, especially with all the schools having to go remote and students online even more than they were it was even more important that we have this message and this urgency that being safe online and being appropriate online was even more important so we decided to just offer virtual content and we weren't able to release it until early in 2021 so early this year but the reach that we had was incredible we reached about 2000 students on our grade 7 through 12 content and we had 120 contest submissions. And our website traffic, we had over 6,000 unique page views. And so we're pretty excited about that outreach. And so even though we weren't able to meet face-to-face, we had a little bit of a silver lining there that that we reached more students than we normally would have been able to.
0: Wow. To go from 280 when you're in person to almost 2,000 or over 2,000 uh, is just phenomenal. And that's 2,000, correct me if I'm wrong, that's not 2,000 students who just simply access this, but that is over 2,000 students who completed the course. Am I right?
1: Right. Those are students that interacted with the content by watching the video and doing a review game that we provided for them and then completing an assessment where they then received a certificate of completion. So yes, over 2,000.
0: So to think of the magnification of that reach as a result of that move to that digital space was pretty significant. That's about nine times, right? As many people that completed it. So um, what has that done then to shift your thinking for this effort moving forward?
1: Right. Well, so yeah, just one more thing about that reach. When we had the Digital Citizenship Symposium in person, it was a one-day thing with the hopes that the groups that participated took it back to the school and did something with it. But we never really knew if they did or not, but the hope was that they did, but it was still kind of just that one and done thing. And so our ESUCC digital citizenship work group that has formulated these online modules, our hope was always that it wasn't just a one and done thing. And our hope was always to somehow shift it. So we feel like that because it went virtual that we were able to do that. And then the teachers had a little bit more choice of when they would provide that content for their students. So if it worked out for that week, it worked out for that week, but maybe in two weeks, it was going to be better. so that made us shift a little bit to thinking, you know, maybe we should try this again this year. And the feedback we got from last year was that the teachers really appreciated that the content was there. They could get to it when they wanted. And it was spread out a little bit more than just a one day thing. Also, they didn't have to leave their building and they didn't have to pick just four or five kids. So they were able to include more students. And even more teachers. So like there's just no limit now. And there's no charge. We had to charge before because we had to kind of cover our food costs. But now we don't have to do that. So there's no charge and there's no limit to the participation.
0: Wow. And that obviously then is just going to lead to hopefully more people getting involved. More people get an opportunity to learn about this important content and students being able to grow as a result of getting a chance to interact with it. And I know recently I've seen some of the content that has been added Uh, to those resources that are available there. So can you kind of speak to some of those maybe 2.0 efforts for facilitating these uh, in that digital space?
1: We didn't want to just have the same content that we had last year. We obviously wanted to update it. So last year, I mentioned before that Karen Hossie would come to us in person to present. Last year, she was kind enough to record some videos for us. And they were great videos and a lot of the same kind of content that she would probably have presented to us in person. And the students, they just get a lot out of her things because hearing about real cases in Nebraska, even, it's kind of eye-opening for students. And so to update then this year, we didn't want to have just the same videos, although they are still accessible on our website. We asked them again to just record some videos and we changed the topics just a little bit. And so this year, Bobby Turi from KSB, so from the same law firm, Bobby recorded two videos for us. Cyberbullying and harassment was one topic, and then sexting was another topic. And then Lincoln Public Schools did a phenomenal job of creating a video for us on digital media literacy, which we felt like was a piece that we were missing last year. And we decided that we could add that. And then for elementary, for grades K through 4, we direct our teachers to visit NetSmarts into the cloud. It's an awesome lesson plan. With several videos and some activities that are built right in, and it's all just ready to go. But we direct them to that and give them a little bit of guidance on that, as well as as an assessment for the end of that. And for grades five and six, we direct them to Common Sense Education, a couple of different lessons from there that fit that same topic: that digital media literacy, cyberbullying, and and one of them is that relationships piece of online and that communication online and digital drama, which is great for that age of kids. <laughs>
0: You know, that's so spot on, too, at least in my experience as a parent. So my daughter is in fifth grade now, and it has been interesting to me to watch how the issues that have come up for her in those digital spaces have changed from third grade to fifth grade. Uh, and so, love hearing that the vision here and the resources in support have really been to target those issues that are appropriate for the challenges that those learners are likely facing in those spaces at different times. And uh, so, some just in time learning. Uh, with that scenario i and i'm, I'm going to point my daughter to some of these resources too, as now she has her own laptop, and so we're we're having a lot of conversations about what to watch on YouTube and what to stay away from and so I love that this stuff's going on um so with that, then talk a little bit about this year 's competition. I know so we talked about the resources talked about the involvement last year, and so this is coming up again, so yeah, what does that competition component look like, and how could people uh access that?
1: We're excited to have the contest again. We brought it back last year. We had had a contest, like one of those first couple years of our symposium, we had an internet safety poster contest and students entered that. And then we just didn't have it for a few years for one reason or another. And we kept talking about how we'd love to bring it back. So last year, because of everything was gonna be online, virtual and digital, we thought, why not do the contest? We can handle it. Our contest last year was all digital. And so teachers would submit their students' work digitally. So whether it was a scanned picture of something that was hand-drawn, like a poster, or whether it was a poster that they created with a digital platform like Google Slides or Canva, those kinds of things were just turned in through a Google form digitally. Our two categories for our contest last year and this year, again, will be either a poster or a public service announcement which could be audio or video. We ask that they keep to our theme, which is be cyber smart, be positive in their message, and also touch on at least one of the topics that they learned about in the course of them accessing that content on our website. Our grade level categories are going to be K through two, three through five, six through eight, and nine through 12. So any K-12 student can enter this. They can choose to do a poster or a PSA, they'll be accepted all year long. So as soon as our website goes live on October 1st, we will accept contests all year long, but we won't judge them until March. And then winners will be notified in April. And so last year we had 119 entries and our winners, we had 24 winners total out of those 119 entries. Everybody that entered a project got a certificate of submission. Basically, just thank you for entering our contest. Everybody got a certificate. And then we had certificates for all of the winners and honorable mentions. And we had medals for first, second, and third place.
0: That's terrific. Uh, it gives students the opportunity then to sometimes that competition element just really adds uh, a lot to it in terms of their effort, their intentionality, and then to be rewarded for their efforts in that space too is just really whether it's the certificate they get for completing the course itself or for competing and really putting together a nice polished project. And I love too that the opportunities there for students to create whatever they maybe have some you know sort of ability set in, whether that's artistically and creating a poster, uh, maybe by hand, or if they can do that digitally, then they're welcome to do it in that space as well. Some great video pieces. Yeah, just all of these opportunities for them to just have that learning deepened by their interaction, engagement in the creation of those materials that then can go right back to teaching other learners more about this very topic and content from their peers. There's just something really beautiful about that piece too.
1: Yeah. We got some really great entries last year too. And it was, it was fun. I agree that creation piece of, you know, when students interact with content and then they can create something showing what they learn. I think that just really seals the deal in terms of them retaining that knowledge. And I love the fact that they can teach other people as well. We had a lot of hand-drawn projects last year and, you know, the teacher just took a picture of it and submitted it. And we had some videos and we had some things that were created online and just the creativity that's out there is amazing. The winning entries from last year are on our website. You get to our website, you can find those. so You can get ideas and see. We didn't post every single entry, but we did post the winners. And there is a link to this year's contest guidelines and the submission form.
0: All right, which you can find at bit.ly capital N-E lowercase D-I-G-C-I-T, right? Uh, that's right. It's bit.ly slash N-E sit, but the capitalization for those bit.lys matters. So it's on that N-E and then lowercase D-I-G-C-I-T. And also on that website, uh, I noticed that there is a segment there for educators, right? To educate themselves.
1: Yes, that's right, Andrew. So we were excited to finally get that launched at the end of this last school year. So late in uh, the school year of 2020 2021. And that was a focus that we had had. By we, I mean our digital citizenship work group with our statewide ESUs. That was one of our goals: was to get some content for teachers to do some professional development. There's no cost to it. It's about a 35-minute maybe time commitment. But if you complete all those modules, then you can get a certificate of completion. And it's something that just touches a little bit on all those same topics that we're trying to reach our students with. And so when I say that. What I mean is the topics that are on those modules, first of all, our group got together and we, we determined what topics should be there. And then we created the content for it. And then one of our lovely colleagues from ESU3 put it together in this nice online course with the modules. And so there's some questions at the end. And, and so you can kind of get a little quiz at the end. But it's student data privacy, which is, again, is huge right now because of all the different sites that our students access all the time, every day, 24-7. For our classes, right? And then video conferencing management was another timely topic because of those same things. Digital citizenship in the classroom and then evaluating digital information. So similarly to what we have with our students, we have some content available for teachers as well.
0: Yes, and It's so important because this conversation, as you can tell just from the examples we've thrown out over the course of the pod today, uh, is ever evolving, it's ever changing, new challenges are being posed as new technology opens up new potential and uh, to stay current with that and to continue to advance our own education as the you know professionals in the room as educators that are supporting students. Uh, is imperative. So um, I love that that was also uh, part of the vision here and something that teachers could access. And just gives one more reason why people should look to access the site. So is there uh, anything that we've not brought up yet regarding this topic that uh, you'd like for people to know about as they have had a chance, hopefully during our chat, to learn a little bit more about digital citizenship and also some places that uh, they could get involved with that work here in Nebraska?
1: I just say, if you happen to listen to this podcast and Um, Go to that website, share it with other people, you know, that maybe aren't aware of the content that we have the contest. We're super excited. I feel like because we were able to offer this earlier in the school year, this time, we're going to see more outreach than we even saw last year. So I'm super excited to see what we reach at the end of the year. I'm guessing that it's going to be a lot more than that 2000 that we had last year.
0: Gosh, that'd be terrific. And I love to see how much this has scaled and that we've leaned, you know, that ESUs have leaned into uh, that space to up their resources uh, and the support. So uh, make sure that you access that. And again, that uh, link I'll put in the show notes, but you can appoint your learners there and support them as they're learning more about digital citizenship. So Peg, thank you for your time. Thank you for your advocacy on this topic. Uh, And we'll look forward to maybe checking back in with you in the spring when some of those finished products are put together.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Be cyber smart.